0: You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Joey's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. Welcome to podcast number 378. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in for this glorious podcast. It is going to be with Dr. Catherine Sanderson, second time guest on this show, who is a professor of psychology at Amherst College. And I wanted to talk to her about the first five episodes of Joey's season. However, Dr. Catherine is also a big fan, has been following Dave Neal's videos for the last eight months, listening to my podcast, and was a former guest on the Laura Owens podcast back in 2019, and I believe either 2020 or 2021. She's been on there twice, so wanted to bring her on and talk about the Clayton and Laura Owens case as well. We'll get to all that momentarily. So yeah, great talk today with Dr. Katherine Sanderson. That'll be coming up in a little bit. About the first 25 minutes or so, talking about Joey's season, the women, the drama, the, I don't know, I don't want to call it over the top, but the one-on-one dates where it seems like everybody's got a tragic backstory and her psychoanalysis of it. And then we spend about the last 35 minutes of the hour interview talking about the Clayton Eckerd-Laura Owens case and what's going on, what can happen, what's wrong with Laura, just her kind of as an armchair quarterback psychoanalyzing Laura from afar, but also knowing and being very up to date on the court documents that she's read online, that Dave has shared online, the emails that Laura has sent me that I have shared with a lot of you. Dr. Catherine has a lot of good stuff here uh, in talking about this, what Laura's goals are in all this, why she thinks she's even doing this in the first place, what her issue is, all that stuff. Really good conversation with her. Before we get to that, I do want to mention that on my daily roundup today and on my sports daily, I do talk about the tragedy in Kansas City yesterday with the Chiefs championship parade at the very end of the parade. A assailant got loose. Looks like three men are in custody now. As of me recording this, 22 people have been shot. One of them is dead. One fatality so far happened to be a local woman who was on Kansas City radio. Just awful to hear. Um, there's eight of the 22 people who are shot from what I read had immediate life-threatening injuries and seven had life-threatening injuries. So, you know, you keep your fingers crossed that there are no more deaths that come of this, but when 15 of the 22 people are shot are at least in life-threatening situations, you got to be realistic and think that maybe not everyone is going to make it. I hope they do. And obviously we're going to probably start hearing names pour out, but, you know and I, and I don't make it a political thing when I talk about this. I understand that this is a very hot button topic in America for sure I, I do have my thoughts on, on gun control in this country and you know I'll just say it here it's very very quick and easy is that I'm not looking to take people's guns I'm not taking, looking to people who already own guns I want all the guns riled up and thrown in a giant pile and blown up. No, I don't want that. I just think it should be much, 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 much more difficult to own a gun in this country, just because we've seen the people who have committed a lot of these mass shootings have access to guns that they shouldn't. And it's just been way too easy. So I just think it should be harder. That's my stance. If you hate me now, whatever, you know, that's just it's where I stand. And it's sick to see these stories. And, you know, it's just it's unfortunate. And but I kind of wanted to look at it from a sports angle because, you know, we've had all these mass shootings over the years, whether it was in Parkland or, you know, even, the you know, churches, movie theaters, um, it, it, so many different places, you know, nightclubs, all this stuff, preschools, middle schools, high schools, uh, you know, and now we've come to now we've got something new, a championship parade where, God, you should feel safe attending a championship parade. And I think nine of the 22 people shot yesterday were children. You know, and it's just it's gut wrenching. It's heart wrenching. I hate stories like this and I hate it because, you know, me as a solo person is not, you know, I think I can do that's going to change anything. And, you know, I, there's so many things out there and so many people say so much rhetoric about this and that and what side. But, you know, the the thing that sucks about it all is this is what we've become as a country. Like we just expect this to happen. And there's been so many of them. They all kind of run together now in terms of, you know, if you ask me how many people died in the Pulse nightclub shooting versus how many people died in the Parkland one, like I've just totally lost track. You know, I don't know the exact number and that shouldn't happen, you know. And, um, you know, obviously I wish things would change and it's just it's just difficult because we all know how the cycle is going to work on this. We're going to mourn for a few days. There's going to be memorials. There's going to be outrage and there's going to be, you know, thoughts and prayers uh, from people. And then there's going to be nothing that happens legislatively. And it's just going to happen again and again and again and again and again. And again. Because that's the way it always it has happened. And, you know, I just kind of I just kind of bring it back to something I heard, you know, after the Sandy Hook shooting. and Somebody or not even right after that happened, but um, later on, after more shootings starting happening and somebody said, look, the second kindergartners were shot at point-blank range and laws weren't implemented the next day, we pretty much knew where we were going with this. And, I mean, it's true. I mean, people were fine with that happening, you know? And it just sucks. It really does. And, you know, really no great segue here to move on, but we have to. But I, in terms of this shooting yesterday that happened at the parade, I look at it from— um, on on both the daily round of the daily round, only, I only talk about it for about five minutes. Sports daily, I spent a good the first ten minutes on this shooting, and I kind of look at it from a sports perspective because hey, championship parades happen four times a year with the major sports teams: baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. Whoever wins the championship is usually throwing a parade within two or three days. Basically, my bottom line is, I think we after what happened yesterday, I think we can pretty much kiss championship parades goodbye. And you know what? I don't have a problem with it. It's a fucking parade. It's not a big deal. We can get rid of these. And after yesterday, while I, you know, my thought is this is going to become a city by city decision, but I think most cities now are going to say, let's not even take that chance because we can't account for every person, you know? Championship parades, you just show up and you just stand on the sidewalk and wait for the guys to come around and wave to them. Anybody with any sort of artillery can show up and do that. If it's inside an arena, hockey, basketball, you have to go through a metal detector, you know, when you go to attend a game. Football, same thing. So maybe you move it to arenas and or football stadiums. Yes, you'll have less people, but it's way more important to have less people and full safety than Hey, everyone just show up in a giant crowd. (laughs) Yeah, you can arm it with as much security as you want, but that's not going to deter anybody who wants to get something accomplished. So hopefully um, there's some resolution to this. I think in the short term, though, we're kissing championship parades goodbye. Whoever wins, the next ones are NBA and NHL. My guess is there's not going to be whoever wins the NBA championship and whoever wins the Stanley Cup this year is not going to throw a championship parade. It's just my guess. And then also I talk about um, on the Daily Roundup, Nick Vial is involved in a new dating show. No, he's not a contestant, but he's involved in a new dating show with a pioneer in the reality TV dating world. I'll tell you about that. And then I also talk about part one of the challenge finale. So get ready for that. All right, here we go. Podcast number 378. Okay, let's bring her in. Uh, she's a second time, third time guest on this podcast. I'm already forgetting. But she is a psychology professor at Amherst College, noted author. She is a Bachelor fan. And almost most importantly, she loves and has been following the Clayton Eckerd, Laura Owens case. So we're definitely going to get into that. It is Dr. Katherine Sanderson. Dr. Catherine, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for the return invite. This is uh, my favorite way to imagine spending Valentine's Day.
0: I was going to say, Valentine's Day. It's, <laughs> and you know what? And this year's Valentine's Day is a big day if we're discussing the Clayton Eckert, Lauren Lauren Owens case, which we'll get to later on in the podcast. But um, let's, let's first talk about uh, Joey's season of The Bachelor. I just want to get your take on it through five episodes. Um, are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying it? I should say, are you enjoying it? Because I think all these seasons kind of run together. Are you enjoying it like more or less than past seasons, if at all?
1: Well, so what I will say is that I feel like the Golden Bachelor was awesome. And I know that's not what we're talking about, but I feel like that season seemed so like genuine and real. And you really did have a sense that people were falling in love. So I think in that sense, my comparison with Joey's season is it it feels less good to me than Gary's season, but it feels better to me than a lot of other bachelor seasons. How's that?
0: No, that makes sense. And I think Gary really hit, a, I don't want to say I hit a nerve because that usually has a negative connotation to it, but it definitely, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, it resonated with the audience, clearly, because people watched, and the ratings for that show were outstanding. I mean, the best ratings any season this show and this franchise has produced since COVID, and hence the reason we just got an announcement three days ago that they're coming back with our, our first Golden Bachelorette season is going to be airing in the fall. So they clearly know, okay, we've got something here. Let's run with it. And... I I do think um, The Golden Bachelor was, while it was the same formula, it's like, okay, one-on-one dates, silly group dates, all this stuff. At its core, same thing as the original show. But when you jump almost two, I guess, generations of people, because it wasn't like, oh, let's go to 40 and 50-year-olds, which would be kind of doubling what we get on Bachelor and Bachelorette. We're going to the next phase, which is 60 and 70-year-olds it just felt i guess like you said a lot more genuine and it it didn't have to do with instagram follows and these women were looking to build a brand out of this i mean maybe some were but i think you can only get so far in that at that age unfortunately but it was interesting for sure
1: well yeah and i think in addition to yeah they're not all going to sell you know hair products or you know gummy vitamins or whatever but i think in addition to that there was a real sense of, like, time is running out, right? Like, you're in your 70s. Like, where is your person? Yeah. Where, when you're 23 or 25 or, what? what's Joey, 27, 28, something like that, whatever. Yeah. It just doesn't have the same sense of urgency because it's like, okay, maybe you'll meet your person here, but probably you'll meet your person, you know, later because you were on The Bachelor. Whereas for those women it really did have this feeling of they need to find somebody and, and they really want to find somebody and they're ready. And it felt to me, and again, I'm old. I've been watching this. I've probably been watching the bachelor longer than you have, Steve. Cause like I watched way back when it was like Alex and I know you started later, right?
0: I, I started on Trista's season. So I missed Alex and Aaron, but the, the very next season was Trista's and I've watched since then. So yeah, 46 of the 48 seasons I've covered
1: you think about like the Trista season or the Alex or the air, the early seasons, the women, the men, people seemed much more interested in like, this is not the next step in their influencer career. Right. It was like, really, like, I really want to find someone. And maybe I want to make some friends or I want to travel the world or whatever. But I feel like the bachelor seasons had a much more genuine feeling way back when. And they just haven't of late, and I will also say that I think Zach was really a little bit dry, and and Clayton also a little bit seemed. And I feel bad because I know he's been through quite a lot, but I, I thought Clayton also seemed like you know a bit of a bump on a log.
0: Yeah, I think. I, and the other thing about the Golden Bachelor that I think really resonated with a lot of people is just I think as a society. We love underdog stories and we love mm-hmm. stories where, you know, it tugs at the heartstrings. And I said before the Golden Bachelor even started, I said, I really hope they don't treat this like the regular franchise where they're gonna focus so much on drama until they get down to like four or six women and then we get, you know, the connection between the lead and those women. And they didn't, you know, outside mm-hmm. of outside of uh, you know, one, you know, Kathy's little beef with Teresa they didn't focus on it too much. So that was a good thing. Um, And I think, you know, the underdog stories, I think that's what people love cheering for, love rooting for. We love it in sports. We love it. uh, Comeback stories, whether it's celebrities and stuff like that. We love hearing that stuff. And to hear a lot of these women talking about deceased husbands. And I mean, Nancy was the one that said, I haven't worn my wedding dress since, uh, you you know, even though it was a photo shoot, just having that have that effect on her. Uh, you know, they did a good job at tugging at the heartstrings. That's what they needed to do on that show. And I think they succeeded. And that's why people watched. They, they cut out all this petty nonsense that kind of we're dealing with, with Maria and Sydney through four episodes. Really?
1: Right. And the other key with the, with the golden bachelor is they're already married. Right. When has that happened? Yeah. That, when did that air? I'm sure, you know, when did the, the finale air?
0: Finale was December 7th, and they got married January 4th.
1: (laughs) So that's also the kind of thing where now we have, you know, Matt James is still, you know, dating his final person, and, you know, Zach is still dating his final person and whatever. This is also not like we're just going to keep dating, you know, for a year or two and get to know each other and see where it goes. You also have the sense that, like, they're making a life together. I mean, they literally said, I do – a month later, and I know it was more than a month after, like the they finished filming, which was what? When did they finish filming? Summer,
0: beginning of or end of August. All
1: yeah. right. So still,
0: they basically filmed. Months. They basically filmed the whole month. Of, they basically filmed in three weeks in August, and then it aired September or um, October through December seventh. They got married January fourth. So basically, still, they only known each other less than six months and got married. But hey, it's better than nothing, I guess.
1: Well, no, and I think it I think it lends a sort of a credibility that you're not just watching a show, you're watching people really fall in love.
0: If I were to ask you, and it looks like, I mean, they haven't said specifically, but the way they hinted at it, uh, the executive producers during the TCA press event over the weekend, they've hinted that our Golden Bachelorette is going to be one of these women from Gary's season. It, it makes the most sense. It's no different than the fr- franchise where, they're going to choose somebody that the audience is already invested in. And, you know, if they were to bring somebody in as the golden bachelorette that wasn't on Gary's season, it would just be like, okay, but I'm not interested. I don't know anything about her. It's just, that doesn't mean people wouldn't watch. It's just a lot easier when you have a built-in audience. So that's why I'm going to go with one of these women. If you had a choice, who would you want to see as the golden bachelorette from Gary's women?
1: Oh, well, I would totally want to see Leslie. And yeah. didn't you kind of say you, that you think it is Leslie, right? Yeah. I'm, I mean, that's just my opinion. I I, I think yeah. that
0: just knowing the way this franchise works, she has the biggest story. Um, she was heartbroken at the end. It makes the most sense. Uh, I would be surprised if it wasn't her. Not saying the other women couldn't do a good job. I'm just kind of knowing the way this show functions. Seems like she's the, the right choice and the best choice. The only other one I could really see doing it that would make the most sense to the audience would be... Um, who's the, I'm blanking on her name that finished third. Faith. Faith. I don't, yeah, see, I was going to say, I don't even know what I was going to say. I forgot her. I, her yeah. I blanked on her name. But yeah, Faith. I could see Faith and I could see Leslie. Probably because they lasted the longest, but that, you know, that makes the most sense to me. I feel like we got to know them the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can totally see Leslie in that role. I um, wanted to talk uh, about Joey's season here because we're dealing with a lot of, gosh, it seems like high school drama with this stuff with Sydney um and Maria and you deal like you know you're a psychology professor in college I don't know if you get to like (laughs) just being in class getting to hear the drama that goes on with some of your students I don't know if it's you ever get to chime in about or anyone ever comes to you any of your students ever come to you with their I don't know relationship drama just to ask your opinion because you're older and wiser I don't know but I feel like we're back in high school watching two women go at each other uh and seemingly nothing is getting accomplished.
1: So fully the fully A, I agree, nothing is getting accomplished. I think it frankly makes them both look not great. I mean I just think that's true. And I will say that with some regularity and I will not be revealing um student names, etc, students talk to me a lot okay, uh about good even example um, a few a few years ago, I, I gave a talk in San Francisco for alums and a bunch of my former students came and at the end, I shared an Uber to the airport with one of my former students and he was you know flying off to the East Coast and he asked me like a lot of questions about should he basically move things to the next level with this woman he was dating or not or was it the right time or how did you know when to like make a move? Anyways, we had this like great conversation. I pretty much was like, go for it. You know, whatever, love matters. He gets out of the Uber because we're at the airport where the Uber is dropping him off. And the Uber driver turns around to me and says, oh, hey, I also have a similar situation. And then proceeds to like ask about, you know, that that question. And I think the reality is that in lots of cases, the women on The Bachelor are what 23, 24. I mean, how old are those two women? They're, they're so young, right?
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know their ages offhand, but yeah, I think they're mid-20s. But that's category. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and I think the challenge is that they are in a situation that is probably stressful, right? I mean, you're, you're thrown into a new situation. You are getting to know people, but they're not people who you've known throughout your life. Um, and, they do all of the sort of deprivation of reality check that you might have. So you can't phone a friend. You can't reach out to your mom. You know, you can't do these other things. And so I think the the drama really gets escalated. And of course, that's what the producers want. So on some level, both of those women might have been initially chosen because they had a feeling like they would be willing to kind of tussle a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, I think that there's there's no doubt that at some point during interviews in their ITMs with um people that weren't Maria, I think it was probably almost an experiment on which producer could get the most out of someone else talking about Maria and it just seems like Sydney took the bait. Or Sydney was like, yeah, uh you know, whether or not it was strictly producer done or she really just did not like her. She clearly was willing to talk about her. And that's what they wanted. I guarantee they tried other women. They tried other right. women in ITMs to say, like, "Man, did you see what uh, Maria did today? Or what about? What do you think of this that Maria said?" And if they didn't take the bait and go with it, then they're just like, "Okay, well, I'm not going to use her." And they were probably eliminated. And Sydney had no problem saying how Maria made her feel at uh, any at any time she got in an ITM. So yeah, for sure, it was definitely, you know, pretty much set up laid out however you want to go with it but Sydney still took the bait whether she felt that way uh organically about Maria or not it's just a very tough position to be in because we talk about the early stages of the bachelor the early seasons of the bachelor versus now and I think obviously when you talk about the women that were on during Alex season there was no social media back then everyone was literally going on and just being themselves You know, maybe somebody hammed it up for the cameras a little bit. For the most part, they weren't worried about outside opinion because they weren't getting outside opinion back in 2002. Nobody could, unless somebody knew them personally, that's the only way anyone could contact them. Now I think that anybody that goes on this show is very well aware, if I present myself a certain way, America might not like me. So I have to act this way. And some people email me and are just like, how can Laura or how can Sydney not, (laughs) Laura, (laughs) <laughs> um, how can, how can Sydney not see this? Why would she say that? She knows she's going to get shit for it. Leia, the same thing, just the same thing. Like, don't these women know it by now? And I guess it's, I guess the answer is until you're there and you're in the pressure cooker, you, you just don't see it or you just don't get it. You're not, or you're just not thinking, oh, what I'm saying on camera in the month of no October Is going to come back and bite me in the ass when it airs in January and February. You're just you're not thinking that far ahead.
1: Well, and and I would so I agree with that, but I would also make two other points. One, these women who are in their ITM saying like, "Oh yeah, you know, Maria's horrible" or whatever, they also are probably getting egged on by their producer, and the other women saying like, "Oh yes, we all feel the same." So it might be that their interpretation is that everybody on the season is going to be in their itms talking about this and it's not just going to be them alone so they may have a misperception of what's going on mm-hmm. there are also maybe at least for some of them you know you kind of got to mix it up a little bit especially if you don't have chemistry with the bachelor if you want to have a chance for paradise or other sorts of options so i also wonder to stomach some extent Often the people who are messing it up, you know, mixing it up, are not really going far. And so we can kind of see that with Sydney, right? There's no real sign that she has anything to talk to Joey about other than let me talk about this thing going on behind the scenes. And so I wonder to some extent if people are doing it also or are more susceptible to it because it's a way for them to stay around and be relevant.
0: And usually when we've seen two-on-ones, it's usually two people where one of them definitely has a better connection with the lead. And you can say what you want about Sydney, you can say what you want about Maria. Even if you I don't know, even take away that feud from what they had shown us, there was nothing that they showed us in four episodes that anyone could make could you could convince anybody that Joey was interested in keeping Sydney around anyway. Like right. he had made out with Maria on numerous occasions. She went and changed yes. her outfit for him. Like There's clearly, and I don't know how deep their connection is, but Joey is clearly physically attracted to Maria. And basically, a lot of their conversations up until last night's episode have been very surface level and basically let's just make out. And Sydney had given us nothing in terms of her relationship with Joey that at least we were shown. Maybe there was stuff behind the scenes and just they didn't focus on it because they knew she was only lasting four episodes. But. It's clear as day that regardless of what their feud was or who was right or who was wrong or who told somebody to shut the fuck up, I don't think it mattered. We all knew he was keeping Maria anyway, even if you didn't know the spoilers. They didn't show anything with any sort of connection with him and Sydney for four episodes, you know?
1: Right. Well, and that's what makes it so easy to put them on the two-on-one date last night, right? Like that it's not, there's no risk in that because everybody understands what's happening at the end of that.
0: What do you, what do you make of, and we might've talked about this the last time you were on. What do you make of the fact that we get a lot of one, obviously you get one-on-one dates on this show, but seemingly in either recent seasons or whatever, the people who get one-on-one dates always seem to have a story. And it's always a story that, you know, makes them kind of an underdog, something that people want to root for. We've got Daisy's cochlear implant, We've got Lexi's endometriosis endometriosis diagnosis, and, you know, last night we've got Kelsey sharing the story about her mother who died from breast cancer. Like, these are things that I get people want to get behind, but these women are given one-on-ones for a certain reason, and I don't think, this isn't, when when you share something like that with somebody on a date, especially a first date, um, that's not trauma dumping, right? That's not, or trauma bonding, correct? No, it's not. Okay. Okay um i know people like to say it is and that's why i'm just like let's let's get the correction out here i don't it's not but i guess in the vein of this show and how it works holding on to something like that you you really can't you don't want to but it's probably not easy to do as well i mean what is your take on these one-on-one dates that just seem so heavy-handed and how joey has handled them so far
1: So, there's a really interesting uh, scale in psychology, and and your readers can actually Google this, and some of them might have uh, heard about it, or your listeners, I guess I should say now. But it's called the 36 Questions. And it's literally 36 questions, again, developed by a psychologist. It was published about in the New York Times. There's like an app and stuff. And, And it's 36 questions that bring you closer to someone. And that could be closer to a stranger, it could be closer to a romantic partner, it could be closer to a friend, but they basically are questions in which you ask, you know, what's your favorite childhood memory? What's the hardest thing that you've ever been through? You know, what's the, how would a friend describe you? So basically what these questions do is they move people beyond the surface level, oh, you know, what's your favorite Taylor Swift song and what's your favorite color and what kind of ice cream do you like? And it's designed to have people really be intimate and engage in self-disclosure. And what the research shows is if you do the 36 questions with somebody, it actually increases your feeling of connection to the person substantially. Again, even if it's a random stranger, which basically, you know, all of these people are to Joey, you know, within the first, you know, couple of weeks. They all are. Strangers. So I actually think it's masterful of the producers because what they're doing is they're really having Joey and these women develop this sense of closeness because you've revealed something that you probably on a first date wouldn't tell someone, you know, I have my mother died or I have endometriosis or I have this medical condition and, you know, I am hearing impaired. You know, again, these are things that are Forcing closeness in a way that really feels authentic and real, and I think probably is really compelling for the viewer. But I think it's also really compelling for Joey and the woman.
0: By the way, before we move on, I want to answer your three questions that you just said. I'm going to go oh, with. God, all God, I'm, going to, I'm going to go with all too well for my favorite Taylor Swift song. Okay. Uh, green, is my, green is my favorite color. My ice cream is mint and chip. There you go. <clears throat>
1: There you go. Okay, I thought I was getting like your favorite childhood memory.
0: Oh, over I, we could do those too, but no, I was just <laughs> going on the surface level ones that you brought up. I was like, ooh, I want to answer those. No. <laughs> okay
1: okay. Um,
0: no, I, I, I totally get it. And I really think Joey has done a great job in the way that he has responded to these women because I don't know, I've, I've never known anybody, certainly nobody that I've dated uh, that has suffered from endometriosis. But if somebody did tell me that, I think I have a little bit understanding what it was now. I, I kind of knew what it was, but now that mm-hmm. Lexi has gone a little bit in detail about it, I'm like, okay, I get it now. Mm-hmm. But um, I wouldn't know what to say in that moment. You know, he i am assuming he wasn't tipped off to that. He was hearing that for the very first time, and he—he mm-hmm. he handled it about as well as you could for someone who probably didn't mm-hmm. know what he was getting into at that point.
1: Well, I agree with that, and as you noted it's been repeatedly, right? Like like each of his, his one-on-one dates is like, let me throw you for a loop now, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: he, uh, he probably going into the date like, all right, what's this girl's story going to be? Because clearly I'm not going on a one-on-one date with somebody who doesn't have some sort of backstory to them, you know? Right. And, I mean, Jen, even, you know, Jen had the second one-on-one of the season, and she said that she had no relationship basically with her father, or that it was a very strained relationship early on, and then now... I think she said she has none. So yet another one, maybe it's not as, I don't know, severe as endometriosis or being hard of hearing uh, and being deaf in Daisy's case, but still it is something. It's just, it's almost like I want to see one of these dates where, uh, you know, they're 23 or 24 years old, 25, 26, whatever. Someone goes on a one-on-one date and the talk is just, I don't know, not so deep. And somebody doesn't have a backstory of this. So it's almost like why... Is that what they're looking for in casting now? Can you even win or advance on this show if you don't have a tragic backstory and you sit there at your first dinner with him and he asks you, so what's, you know, what's, how's your life been or whatever? And here's a 24 year old that's like, had a great time in college, was part of a sorority, got a great job and things have been great. Like maybe, is it okay to have one of those? Can we get somebody that doesn't have a tragedy
1: in their past? I don't know. Not that I'm against it. I'm just saying it
0: seems like everybody is, you know?
1: Well, Yeah, and remember though, Steve, they are also, they're not just trying to find Joey a wife, they're also trying to get the audience invested in who they hope will be the bachelorette, right? So, the tragic stories, um, one of those women is very likely to end up the bachelorette and all of those also would be compelling. You know, here's this person who's so sad that her mom's not gonna be able to walk her down the aisle, or here's this person who's so sad that she may not be able to have children, or here's whatever. Those are also getting the audience invested in somebody's story in a way that that I think also is important to go back to your example of, I had a great life, you know, I, I was in a sorority, I graduated from college, I have a great job, whatever. Part of that, again, I think actually probably makes the woman less relatable. Because remember, what what the audience wants to do is to feel connected to somebody. And so unless you are that person who's had this wonderful life, that person might actually irritate you. You know, nothing bad has ever happened to this person. And now they're on The Bachelorette. And now they're going to be, you know, famous and, and get to marry, you know, whoever. They're also trying to get the audience rooting for these these women, whoever wins, but also whoever is the the lead next time. It's a really great point.
0: And I guess it just means that you probably don't have a good chance to last far or be the next Bachelorette unless you have a compelling uh, backstory. It doesn't mean you're not interesting and it doesn't mean you don't deserve love. It just means for this particular show, you're probably behind the eight ball a little bit. So very good points there. I really uh, appreciate that. I wanted to I want to take a break real quick and then move on to talk about one of the most fascinating things in the history of. Nation. We'll be right back in a second to take care of that. Okay, we're back. And when I reached out to you to come on the pod, you had mentioned to me how much you've been following the Clayton Eckerd Laura Owens case. We are recording this on Wednesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, like you mentioned, (laughs) which would have been a really big day in Clayton Eckerd Laura Owens history uh, if she was ever pregnant because when she was under oath and when she was in a hearing back in, can't remember if it was, it was the first one. Yeah. uh, It was the first one where she said, I'm due on February 14th with my twins. So pour one out for Laura's twins that were not born yesterday. Anyway, moving on to this particular case, you have been following a lot of what Dave Neal has been covering. I know you've watched a lot of his videos. I'm sure you've read or been read to by Dave, the court documents of, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. Being a psychologist, I'm so curious to know what you think of Laura Owens. And I want to throw this caveat out there for people that don't know. You actually went on Laura's podcast back in 2019, the podcast that she has with her mother, which is kind of fascinating in of itself. Uh, well, um, I actually
1: think I was on twice. Oh, you were? Okay. Were you on after that or before that? Um, I was on after. I was on for the first time in 2019. Okay. And then I was on again. And and how I remember that is, I they asked me to be on like sometime during COVID. So I'm going to say maybe like summer. I don't remember, but I think maybe summer of 2020, they asked me to return.
0: Okay. So before we get into anything that happened on those, just I mean your your uh, your armchair psychology professor, breakdown, psychoanalyzation of Laura Owens from everything that you have gathered from this case for the last eight months?
1: So, I mean, my my predominant feeling, and this is honestly not as a psychology professor but as a person, is I feel really sad for her because I think she must be struggling at such a fundamental core level Uh, to have the sense that people wouldn't want to date her, wouldn't want to continue to date her unless she really could um, ensnare them in some way. And that could be ensnaring them with a pregnancy or it could be ensnaring them with threats of self-harm. But to me, my predominant feeling is, is really about sadness because the level at which somebody must feel about themselves to go to such extraordinary lengths is just really sad. It is. And in my
0: dealings with her, Dave's dealings with her, Clayton's dealings with her, it, it is somebody that clearly has shown, and if this isn't just obviously an opinion out of thin air, this is stuff that she has emailed to us. And as the case has gone on, we've seen more and more emails that she sent Clayton At the beginning of this quote-unquote relationship, which it wasn't, it was a hookup, that Clayton basically regretted the very next day, but her mind triggered this into, I mean, to see someone send someone a a dating contract after a one-night hookup and a blowjob is so bizarre to me, and just the continuation of it, and her her whole M.O. and her and her emails to not only Clayton, but to these other guys that we have now found out about. It always seems to be something where she says in an email, well, I'm doing, you know, if I don't hear from you and she always leaves some sort of timestamp by tomorrow, by the end of the week, then I'm going to have to move forward with some sort of veiled threat like I'm going to file suit. And it's just like there is something inherently wrong with someone who is constantly doing that that's not right
1: no and it's also it's someone who is so lacking in self-esteem that she doesn't have the feeling that somebody would want to date her just because of who she is right It, it has to be that you're dating me so that I won't sue you you're dating me so that I'll agree to have an abortion you're dating me so I won't call your parents like whatever it is the idea that somebody doesn't feel good enough about themselves to say, you know, you should date me because you wanna date me, not because it's in a contract or because I'm gonna get a lawyer involved if you don't. I mean, at that level, I I think if any of us had a friend or, you know, a niece or a child who was in that situation, you would, you know, grab them by their shoulders and say, hey, you know, have some self-respect and, you know, somebody should date you because you're wonderful, not because you've them, right? Well, and everything, and everything that you have
0: seen and followed in this case, and it's not like you have any sort of relationship with her or her mother. You went on the podcast twice. I don't think you probably ever no, spoke to not, them outside no, of that, right? No, that's okay. it. Yeah. yeah, so looking at it now uh, from the outside, um, a lot of people have brought into the fact that where is her family in all this? Where are her friends in all this? How is nobody ever stepping in? and being like, Laura, you can't just keep taking people to court. And clearly her mother, uh, I would think at least knows about this. Uh, There seems to be some form of enabling here. There has to be, because even in the conversation we saw with Clayton um, and her mother's email to Clayton, you're just looking at, uh, you know, um, the mother took, I I mean, it's her daughter, I guess she's going to take her side, but her mother is like, Clayton, step up and be a man, you know, at least give her a chance. Like, what? After he just said I want nothing to do with your daughter and then he's she's getting mad at him for not giving Laura a chance. There's just there's something I mean, a wrong off, almost criminal about what
1: the what this family is doing. But remember Steve, you have no idea what she told her mother. So she could have told her mother, we've been dating for 6 months and you know, he told me he loved me and he said like part of the issue is that you know, she's not... She doesn't stick with the truth. Would that be fair to say? <laughs> Just to say the least, yeah. It would be an understatement. Right. So part of the issue is is that you've seen... when We've all seen, like, a huge amount of dialogue between, like, Clayton and Laura and, you know, all of the other the men. But what we haven't seen is what she's telling her mother. And what she's telling her mother might, in fact, be very different. Yeah, he promised to marry me and he pursued me. I mean it's very possible that her mother doesn't have the the accurate sense of that it was a one night hookup that um that she then fabricated a pregnancy out of right
0: yeah it it certainly doesn't seem that way unless the mother is just as delusional as as Laura is we don't we guess we we just don't know um you know when i when i kind of look at this and i've looked at everything and, and you know the emails that i've had with her back and forth back between September and about a month ago, you know, I just, you know, I shake my head at some of the things that she says, and I just don't understand how somebody can just continually deny something that is so obviously not true. Um, You know, she's just a constant, you know, she's a compulsive liar and just will not give in. Um, Just out of curiosity, are you in the agreement that she should just – as much, as hard as it is going to be for her to ever admit she's wrong and did something wrong here i was just curious if you were under the um same sentiment that i was that her best her best course of action in all of this is just to be like you know what i made it all up and just take take your lumps whatever that may be from the courts whatever that may if it, if it means jail time unfortunately that's what it means but is that, is that a route if, if – I don't know, if you were her, <laughs> um, but – or if you were advising her, is that a route you would suggest?
1: So I I think it's – I think it is the best route with one caveat. I think it's the best route with the assumption that I think you're under and I'm under and Dave Neal's you know, under, et cetera, that eventually the truth is going to come out. So, I mean, I think we all believe eventually the truth is going to come out that you did make it all up because, you know, ultimately you're not going to be able to produce a fetal death certificate or, you know, an ultrasound from an actual pregnancy that was yours, you know, et cetera. But I think the challenge is, I don't think she knows yet that the truth is going to come out. I mean, again, her lawyer saying, oh, we should just dismiss it because she's no longer pregnant. So, you know, hey, it's all good, you know, no harm, no foul. And so, so I think the challenge is for her psychologically, she is still in the, I don't know that the truth is gonna come out. So to the extent that she believes there is a chance that she won't ultimately found to be a liar, I think she's kind of like trying to play the odds. And, and I think that's why she didn't show up for the deposition. And I think her hope has to be, it's, it's gonna get dismissed. Clayton's gonna run out of money. You know, um, people are gonna get tired of the story. It's going to go away. I'm going to get my 18th lawyer and they're going to, you know, find this magic potion. So I think that's the challenge. I think that she would do that if, if she believed that otherwise the truth was going to come out, because you'd, you'd rather be able to say, hey, let me spin it my way, as opposed to it be found that she's a liar. But again, I don't think she knows yet that it, the truth is going to come out.
0: So she's basically just holding out hope. She's holding out hope that, yeah, 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 yeah. this is. Yeah. I'm never going to have to be taken a task for for what I did here, which is what a lot of people believe. And a lot of people, I, I don't I even want to say believe at this point. I think we all know this woman was never pregnant. That's what Clayton's lawyers are arguing. Not only that, no, he she was never pregnant by him. She was never pregnant to begin with. And, you know, she just carried it out for seven months. I, I don't understand, you know, Why? I don't know any sort of the, you know, the legal ramifications of all this because there's so many things that have happened under oath that it's just like, God, it seems like she's done so many lies under oath. And I know that's not good. And that's a bad thing to do, but I don't know what penalties are for lying under oath. But my question now becomes to you. And, and this might be too heavy of a question, but it's, it's where I've come to when I think about Laura and what needs to happen going forward. I just, I'll just ask you, do you think someone like this
1: needs to be institutionalized? I mean, currently she's not a threat to herself or someone else in terms of physical harm. I mean, I think that's true.
0: Um, Well, I don't know know about someone else's physical harm, but I think she could be a threat to herself. I mean, she has mentioned in the past about having suicidal ideations, Um, So, but I don't know how recent those are. I mean, I
1: I definitely saw those in one of the emails to me, but... Um, well, but I think the question is, is she actually having suicidal ideation or is she understanding that by saying she's having suicidal ideation, hmm. there's going to be a win, right? Like like she'll get attention or you'll stop, you'll lay off or you'll support her. People will say her oh, seriously. I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that she doesn't have suicidal ideation, but I'm saying that I think it would be different um, – I I think if if people in her life were worried that she was going to harm herself in some way, that would be something to take very seriously. Given that she seems extraordinarily manipulative, it's unclear whether her emails expressing suicidal ideation are designed to manipulate or are legitimate cries for help.
0: Yeah, it's like... Boy, girl who cried wolf situation, you know, it's, it's like I we don't know what to believe. And if you do it so many times, which she constantly and in, in now that we're seeing old emails that she sent to other men, when she keeps repeating the same story, it's just like girl who cried wolf. Like, I don't know if you keep saying it and then all of a sudden it happens. You're just like, well, I, and then people might jump on, I don't know, myself or Dave saying you know we caused it which would be totally ludicrous but there's also a part that's like hey you know she just kept saying the same things over and over um it's hard for us to step in this is a public case that we are you know giving our opinions on and if it, you know it's just a, it's a really weird position to be in because if someone throws that at you and weaponizes it and i i had an ex who did this and it was a very hard position to be in, because she would throw stuff at me that made herself the victim. And if I question it, then I become the asshole. I become the asshole boyfriend who is like, oh, prove it. Prove you did. Prove prove this happened to you. And then she's just like, I can't believe you're you're supposed to stick by me. You're my boyfriend. Why would you even question me on this when she knows she's using it as a manipulation tactic? It's just, it's a very, very difficult position to be in overall. It's just... I don't know. I, I I don't know how to almost deal with a woman like this. Not thank God I don't have to anymore.
1: But my gosh, it's just well serious well, either, manipulation. Either you or Dave Neal, and possibly both of you. So I'm I'm forgetting where which one of you said it. But I think one of the key markers is that some of the time that she was saying that she was thinking about self harm, she also was saying that she was pregnant. So if you're saying that I'm pregnant yeah. and I have these twins and I'm thinking about self-harm, that means you're actually, would also be harming the babies, right? Yep. That's what it means. And so I think that was another indication that her threatening self-harm was probably not at that moment a legitimate threat because if she was simultaneously saying I'm pregnant, those things don't add up in that way. And so, I, so in terms of answering your question, She's somebody who needs psychological help and i think that is clear i think your question was does she need to be in some kind of an inpatient setting i don't see evidence of that because frankly she is functioning like she is functioning in in the way of you know she's getting herself a lawyer and she's you know getting dressed and showering and presumably is like riding horses and you know competing in horse shows or whatever um but i think the the um, Sorry. So, But I think the other issue is that she probably finds all of this interaction rewarding. So she probably is enjoying the repeated court cases because it's frankly a way of keeping her connected to Clayton, which I think she finds rewarding. Yeah, I think that's one of the questions
0: that I've been asked a lot by people who have been following it either on Dave's channel or when I have talked about it everyone's kind of asked the same thing. What was her, what is her goal? What was her goal in all this? And I think in the beginning it was before we, I guess before we even knew about it publicly, it was to get Clayton to date her. But then in emails to me, once it became public, she's just constantly saying, I mean, I have the proof. I don't want to date Clayton. I have no interest in dating Clayton. Well, at that point, when she was telling me this, she didn't know it would blow up to what it was and we would ever see those emails and they would become public where it was clear. Yes, you did. You wanted Clayton and now you're doing this because he turned you down. I mean, clearly that seems to be it. But at this point, at that point when he had basically given up on her and he wasn't just going to he didn't believe her. He told her didn't believe her. He told her, you know, a hundred times to leave her to leave him alone. Then it becomes, OK, then what was her goal from that point forward? And that's where I just kind of scratched my head. Because I don't know what it was, because she wasn't after his money. At no point in any of these court proceedings have I seen her say, he needs to pay me this other than I guess she was insinuating if I have a baby, he needs to you know pay child support, but we knew that wasn't ever he wasn't gonna have to do that. She never it wasn't money and was it fame? I, I don't think it was any sort of fame. like I just kind of scratched my head on what was going through her head during all this. What was she after?
1: Well, I think in her mind, I think in her mind, she dated Clayton. I mean, I think in her mind, they had more of a relationship than they did. And you can see that in her emails of, you know, I could make you a better man or, you know, (laughs) I, right? I, I mean, like this idea that she has in her mind a fantasy of what, their relationship was or could have been. And so she's taken, she is further along in terms of her perception of their relationship than is true. But I think right now she is finding this ongoing interaction rewarding because it's a way of keeping her connected to Clayton.
0: And that's honestly, I mean, I hate to bring this back to my ex, but that was what my ex was doing to me. It was, she saw me pulling away, so she would create a narrative where I would feel bad for her because something happened to her. She got in a car accident, never happened. She, you know, just a laundry list of things that she told me happened to her to keep me in the loop and to keep me, oh, really? Oh, okay. And I knew it in the back of my head, but I didn't want to be a dick and I didn't want to call her out on it and say, prove it. So I just went along with it. And kind of bit my tongue a lot. And it was just very, it was a very frustrating relationship to be in, and very manipulative. Um, but, you know, I, I think now it's kind of, I think it's a, it's a good question to ask now. You say, I think she, in her mind, believed that she was in a relationship with Clayton. I'm beginning to wonder now, do you think she convinced
1: herself that she was pregnant? Ooh. I mean, I think she did... I, I think a hundred percent she did early on. I, I don't think she did at the time at which she's wearing a fake baby bump. You know, I think she's not thinking like that's, the baby is inside this bump that I'm strapping on or whatever, but I think early on, um, I think early on she probably did think I'm pregnant. and And I also think she felt like this was a way of keeping him connected, interested, involved. And remember, this is not her first rodeo. So yeah. we are coming in to see the Clayton interact. And this is the, you know, we're coming in late to the play, right? Like this is a movie that she has acted in for years. For sure. And it's almost like that's
0: what did her in. The fact that she went public with this is the reason why we know about the other cases now. Because if this is kept all private and she never goes to the sun... And she just talks to Clayton and Clayton is dealing with this privately. And maybe he's telling family and friends and maybe he's telling Susie or whatever, but it never becomes a public story. We never find out about Greg. We never find out about Mike. We never find out about all these guys in her past that she was currently involved in cases with that were currently ongoing in the same County as Clayton. And I think maybe Clayton after a while is suffering the same fate that those guys are which is just forking over a shit ton of money trying to defend himself and then maybe at some point just throwing up his hands i i don't know what would have happened if she didn't go forward and go public with this to the sun i don't know what would happen to clayton but i tend to think it wouldn't have been very good
1: no no i think that's exactly right and i frankly think that's why it's really good that both you and dave spent What I can only imagine is, you know, hundreds of hours trying to kind of unpack what all has happened. Because, again, she has been doing this for years. So it is familiar to her. The play is familiar. I mean, some of the emails are like literally like cut and paste from what she's done before. So, again, it's all very familiar to her. It's just the first time that Clayton experienced it. Looking back
0: on it now, in the two times that you went on her podcast, did you ever come out of those podcasts thinking, I mean, I didn't listen to them, but did you ever come out of those podcasts thinking there's something off about her or her mother? Was there anything that ever made you think now seeing what's happening and what played out with Clayton and finding out about the two other men? Is there anything that you can go back to those two podcasts you were on with her and say, now I can kind of see something or no?
1: No, but I will also say as you know, when you're on a podcast, like, they're asking me questions, and I'm responding. You know what I mean? It's not a dialogue. It's like they're asking questions, I'm talking about it. And, And I will say that I think people who are interested in psychology, and you know, that's what we were talking about. There are times in which people are interested in psychology because they are struggling with some stuff themselves, right? So there are people who say, I'm interested in psychology, and the reason that they're interested in psychology is they've struggled with mental health issues for some time, which, you know, clearly she has and and is.
0: It's going to be really fascinating to see kind of what happens with all this because it's still obviously ongoing. There hasn't been definitive rulings. I think, Clayton, that the last I saw, hell, you might be able to update me better. What's the latest on the case here? Did I see something that Dave posted? I think I just looked. I didn't see the video, but I saw a thumbnail that Clayton's lawyers are asking for more time to yeah. present their case.
1: They're asking for more time. I think it's on the schedule for like 45 minutes, and they want like two hours. But again, I think the, the big question is that he has yet to produce any documentation. So they call that discovery. And... You know, to me, that's the big issue: is that you can ultimately be required to produce what they're requesting, just like you can require somebody to just show up at a deposition. Um, but so that I think the date is, I think it's February 27th. That's when they're in court again. I think that's the the date. Um, and and all that they're asking for is they want it. They want it to have it be more time. Okay. And. We'll
0: see, you know, we'll see if that's it. We'll see if they are granted that, um, you know, if she is depositioned, my guess is most of her answers are going to be pleading the fifth. I don't think they're going to get much out of her in a deposition. But again, I don't really know how it works. I know your husband is a lawyer. You know, if, if they ask her, like flat out in a deposition, were you ever pregnant ever during the May twenty from the time? You had a hookup with Clayton on May 20th until you, the time that you say that you lost or you were no longer pregnant. Were you actually ever really pregnant? I, I don't know. Can she just plead the fifth and say, I don't want to answer that? It seems kind of an she important Dana, question to answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, she can absolutely plead the fifth. I think the question is, and I think Clayton actually got into this on another podcast, um, he's, he's going to have to sue her to get some of this information out. Because as of now, it's really just they're still kind of winding their way around the family court stuff, and ultimately, I think Clayton's issue, and I, and I agree with Clayton on this, is that she really has harmed his livelihood. Because if you Google it, it what comes up is that you know they were in a relationship, and maybe there's some mysterious you know did she or was she not pregnant or whatever. But she has said horrible things about him and I think clearly has cost him money. And I think ultimately he's going to have to sue her if he wants to have the the proof of if you're pregnant, then, you know, produce these records or if the baby's died, produce the fetal death certificate. And he has not yet sued her. That has not yet happened.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be the big thing going forward. And we, we don't know. I, I know... Clayton is beaten down by all of this, but and that's been eight months. It's like if he starts, if he does file suit against her, I don't want to say it's almost like starting over, but we're just we're opening up a whole new case. And it's like there's a part of Clayton where I think everyone is telling Clayton to do it. But I would understand if he didn't or just, you know, wants this all behind him just because of how much it would cost to go through filing a lawsuit against her for defamation like it would it's not ending anytime soon if that happens and it's costing more and more money and if he wins the case would he ever see a penny of that like I don't even know how that works because what well, if she no. just says I don't want to pay I'm not going to pay this I
1: well no I, no I think that's a great point Steve and and remember she doesn't have a job right I mean so she doesn't as as have know, yeah, as far as
0: we know no I I don't know what she does
1: but that's what I mean, is that it's not, I think clearly she's from a very wealthy family and hence they're bankrolling the lawyers. Um, but but I think the challenge is even if they won, even if you won a defamation suit, would she pay? And, and, and I think that's unclear. And then I also think that, you know, all of this is also, it's gotta be horrible for Clayton. I mean, can you even imagine what Clayton's been through. I mean, can Clayton date anyone again? I mean, I feel like he would be so gun shy now. Yeah. Of like Anyone. I mean, I just, I think it's a mess for him psychologically.
0: Yeah. I mean, and he, in the interviews that he has done, he's been very clear about how he has hit some pretty low spots and, you know, and we know what that means uh, in terms of him because he was after the show talked about how low he got in his, uh, mental health space and you know uh didn't say the word you know suicidal ideations but we know that's what he was referring to Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and it's just again it's a very it's it's very very hard i'm glad that he i'm glad that this story went public and i'm glad that it's been clear because when this story first came out uh clayton was you know guilty in the court of public opinion from the second Mm -hmm. the story Mm -hmm. came out Mm -hmm. i'm glad that a lot of people now thanks to you know dave and a little bit of myself dave's covered this way more extensively than i have but i've always known because in the very beginning of this when the story broke you know i think it was the next day or two days later i spoke to clayton for 90 minutes on the phone and just based on everything he told me Even though it could have been him lying to me, you know, it's the first time I ever talked to the guy. He could have just been selling me a bill of goods. I just believed him, and I believed his story. It didn't make any sense, and this is before I knew anything Mm
1: -hmm. about
0: her crazy past and Mm -hmm. how she says things, and she had never emailed me up to that point. So it just now, even, you know, I believed Clayton at the time where he told me, and now dealing with her and in emails for four months, I absolutely know Clayton was telling me the truth because she's never— proven one single thing to me in an email, even though she claims her emails are full proof of things. It's just, it's a really weird person to deal with, uh, to say the least. It's just, I, I've never, I've never dealt with something this, this in my life. Other, I did mention, you know, my ex and she did do those things and she did manipulate situations to make herself a victim, which is what Laura does. Laura's just done it probably 10 to a hundred times worse than my ex did. And, it's it's scary and it's and it's scary that unfortunately there's there's a good possibility that I don't even know if she serves any sort of it gets any sort of penalty or punishment for this. I really don't. Well,
1: I would say that the one perhaps clear punishment she's gonna get is she was unable to change her name. Remember there was that whole like attempt. Yeah. And if you google her, this will come up. So she tries to, you know, meet somebody in a bar or she tries to, you know, whatever, swipe, right, whatever. I think her ability to run this game again is, is very, very um, unlikely.
0: Yeah. And that's her personal life. I kind of meant like, what is the, what should be the punishment for telling the world you were pregnant for seven months and having a guy, and, and putting a guy under this stress for seven months, showing up on a zoom hearing with a fake baby bump, um, like lying under oath. Like what are the, I don't know what the legal punishments for that can be. Is it jail time? Is it probation? Is it, uh, you know, what if she keeps avoiding depositions? Is she going to just, is there going to be a bench warrant out for her? Like, I don't know. Um, but at this point I'm up for anything in terms of, I feel that she needs to Suffer some sort of punishment at the, you know, in the legal system for what she has put Clayton through, especially if it is somehow proven. Like, we all know it's we all know she wasn't pregnant, but it still technically hasn't been proven in a court of law. She wasn't. If it is proven somehow, that's got to be something probation, jail time. I don't know, but it's got to be more than she just is going to have trouble dating in the future, you know?
1: But agreed. I mean, it should be. I will say that the challenge here is that it's clearly her first offense. She would be probably a very effective, I'm going to cry on the stand, you know, sort of situation. I mean, even the example you gave of, you know, throw myself on the, you know, the, I've been really struggling with some things. It's been really hard, you know, and and she, the the manipulation that led her to be where she is, which clearly has been effective not just with Clayton but with lots of people over the years um that that could also be very effective with a judge right
0: yeah for sure and we we just don't know i guess it all depends on what type of judge she gets out there a uh, one that's lenient you know one that or one that's maybe stricter and I, you know i don't know i just i just find it fascinating because i've followed this case so much and this is one case in the court of in you know in the in the county, Maricopa County in Arizona. This is one case and there's all these documents and all these things you got to read. And I'm just like, how does a judge have a time during the day to go through all these? Let alone, I have no idea what the court docket is in Maricopa County, but I would assume every other case that's happening there has a bunch of documents and hearing stuff that you have to go through. It's just mind boggling to me that like the judge that's sitting down and ultimately oversees this case are they reading every single word of all of those documents going back and forth between Clayton's lawyers and her lawyers and seeing what we're like the stuff that Dave shows us online it's like I I, I don't know is that how it works like this judge does it at home like (laughs) at night that's their night reading like hey I got this case tomorrow I got to read through all this I I don't know you know anything about
1: this I know your husband's a lawyer I'm sorry I, I can totally not help you with that but what I will will say is that I think the challenge here is that there is a limited amount of time, energy, and effort that Clayton probably wants to spend. Yeah. Um, you know, running this up the flagpole, and she is she is very likely to stall this out. I mean, at, just as the example of like she keeps trading lawyers, right? Like she fires somebody, she hires a new one, you know, et cetera. Um, all of this again. She is probably on some level enjoying. I mean, remember after this week was it this week or maybe it was last last week? Um, Dave Neal's suit got dismissed, and then she posted a giant thing on Medium about cyberbullying, right?
0: Yeah, or like, no, mostly all about Dave. Up. Yeah, it was a whole article about it was Dave. All
1: about Dave, but without mentioning Dave. Yeah. So again, that would suggest. She's not taking this as the, I've learned my lesson. I should be quiet. Right. It's like the opposite.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She dumps the case. And yet (laughs) the very next day, it's like, Hey, this is what I've been dealt with. And this is the guy that this is what the guy has been doing to me for the last, you know, four or five months. And I was just like, you gotta gotta be kidding me. You're shaking your head at that. And you're just like,
1: not. I've learned my lesson. This case is dismissed. Uh, You know, whatever. I'm going to go quietly into that good night. She wants to continue having this escalation. And maybe Clayton won't interact with her and and there isn't publicity about it. And so Dave is now her new, okay, that's who I'm going to mess with.
0: Yeah, it's almost like she's running out of people to interact with because the judge has already said you cannot contact Clayton. You yes. Can, she cannot contact Dave. It has to go straight to his lawyer. Um, yes. I'm the only person left, but I haven't heard from her. I'm, I'm, I, I haven't heard from her in at least... Um, you know, at least a month, uh, cause that's when the last one I got from her was basically saying, um, you know, I was pregnant, comprehensive, uh, proof or comp- whatever it was uh, this was, let's see, let me, let me pull up the email January 4th. So it's been six weeks basically since I heard from her and, um, yeah, contrary to your claim, Steve, I was pregnant and this is backed by comprehensive medical evidence, <laughs> Comprehensive which, 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 yeah, that's how she told me, and yeah. that's just her proof that she was pregnant because there was comprehensive medical evidence that she was, none of which was actual real evidence. It's nothing, you know, it, it that's what I mean. We're dealing with a delusional person here, so how do you deal with a delusional person? And all my emails back to her were just like, answer this. It was almost like the hearing that she dealt with when Clayton's lawyers were just putting her on the spot. This is a yes or no question, Miss Owens. Please answer the question. And just dilly-dallying around with it and you know, trying to say yes or no, but following it up with a, but, you know, it's just like, this is, this is why it's at this point, you know, I don't expect to hear from her again, but you know, you never know. I I didn't expect to hear from her a few times and then she would just email back. But, um, this whole thing is so fascinating. It's one of the craziest stories ever in bachelor nation. I'm glad there's another person I can talk to about it. Dave and I, Dave and I kind of run out of stuff again to say to each other. We're just kind of exasperated by the whole thing. But uh, Dr. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Love talking about this with you. Uh, Good luck in the future, and we will definitely uh, be in touch.
1: Sounds good. Hopefully we'll be celebrating Leslie being announced as the Golden Bachelorette.
0: Yes, that too. Uh, (laughs) Great great talking to you.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much to Dr. Catherine for that. I knew going into that podcast, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on the bachelor. I wanted to spend more time talking about this case and getting a perspective from someone who's a psychologist. I think she had a lot of great answers, uh, in regards to Laura. And like I said, there's no, there's no relationship there outside of the two times she won on Laura's podcast. There was nothing. I just didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to make sure I assumed that was the case and it certainly was, but yeah, I think it's really, really, it's, it's fascinating, you know, because we just don't know where this is going. Um, you know there's a there's a negative side of me that thinks that she's going to get away with all this and you kind of heard me talk about it there and when i say get away with it meaning i don't think she's going to have to suffer any sort of jail time or probation or have to pay clayton's legal fees and to me that's her getting away with it you know personal life and somebody's able to google her and see the craziness in her life okay whatever i don't think that's a penalty for what she's put clayton through Uh, for these last nine months so i guess time will tell and see what happens so thank you all for listening i really appreciate it please follow me on apple podcasts also uh, the daily roundup has been posted that was two hours ago sports daily posted an hour ago check that out as well for dr Catherine sanderson i'm reality steve thank you so much for tuning in and i will talk to you tomorrow see you